Winter was here, and we are just getting started with our rewatch of Season 6, Episode 7 of Game of Thrones, The Broken Man. And now, here are the two guys who are back to hound you some more. I am Rob Sisterino here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? I'm doing better than Brother Ray. Brother Ray. Brother Ray. Yes. A broken man, literally and figuratively. Here we are, ready to go. And uh, Josh, uh, I I like this one. I thought this was a, a a fun little jaunt here in the Broken Man. I you know I I remember this episode uh, not very fondly from from the first time. Excited to see Sandor Clegane back in action after so many episodes away from him. Um, but I, I think this episode in my mind sticks out mostly for. Arya getting stabbed and then like dumped into the river and for whatever short. reason that's short. exactly yeah for whatever reason that just always dominated the way that I thought about this episode but I think you're right I think the especially next one as is going to spend more time on that yeah. yeah a little bit but I think as we've been like a little bit down on season six uh, this is this was a nice surprise for me as well I, I really enjoyed seeing uh, get some Al Swearingen into my Game of Thrones for for one night only uh, I know it was controversial Ian McShane as brother Ray at the time that was fun to have him here in the mix for this one episode uh, on the rewatch and certainly great to get into everything with the hound. We also have Liana Mormont uh, making her debut on Game of Thrones. That scene is fabulous. She's great. Uh, I think a lot of the stuff with, with Jon Snow in this episode actually was really, really good. Sort of the, the yeah. Battle of the Bastards hype. You know, we're, we're getting ready for the Bastard Bowl. Uh, yeah, this is a good episode. I yeah. enjoyed this. And then we're going to spend time in River Run. And as you've pointed out, it's not a storyline that goes anywhere. But I, I feel like that all those scenes in River Run with, with Jamie going and, sh- and showing up and then getting into the parlay with the Blackfish. Uh, I think all that stuff is good. It's fine, right? It's totally fine. It doesn't really amount to anything ever. You know, who really cares about the Riverlands? But it stuff. looks cool. But it looks cool. And, you know, the Blackfish is a jerk and he gives Jamie the business and the Jamie gives gives the phrase the what for as well. And that's kind of fun. So it is leagues above Dorn. But, uh, you know, he, he is once again, as we discussed last week, he has been uh, sent to plotline purgatory uh, for the time being. But at least his cell is a little cushier than it was in Dorn. OK, all right. Let's get into everything here from season six, episode seven. And Josh, we get the rare cold open. I liked this. Uh, I frankly almost missed it because I often try to just like skip ahead on HBO Go to get past the credits just to hop right into the meat. And then I was like, oh, right, there's a cold open on this one. Have to go back and check that out. But yeah, that's a very rare thing for Game of Thrones. I think it's smart. I think it's a it's a you know, when when you're bringing a character back after so much time, and especially when we were really left with the impression that the hound was dead, you know, you're not really left to think that there's any way this guy's going to crawl out of that situation. Situation, and he's gone for a full season so you're not thinking about him at all if you're not going to introduce that character at the end of an episode i think it makes a lot of sense to make this move where you're beginning the episode people are, are discombobulated by the fact that they're not immediately in the credits here it ends with the reveal that the hound is still alive and then you're taken to the credits and you're given some time to process the news i think is a, a cool tactic for sure yeah okay so uh we are introduced to brother ray here and uh, he is uh, setting up shop here in uh, the riverlands joshua what can you tell us about brother ray brother ray is he's the the man who's in deal? charge he's the what's your story he's the man in charge of this community he is a former soldier himself he is now uh, a man of the gods though as he is going to point out he's not really sure which gods or if it's a god he just believes in a higher power he is somebody who is very similar to the hound i think in that he has a lot of terrible things in his past that he has done uh and he is working every day to try and atone for it and he's further down that path by quite a bit than the hound but he's surly he's rough around the edges he's loosely based on a couple of characters from uh the uh from the books by george r r martin in a feast for crows this whole storyline is loosely adapted from uh there's there's this location in the books called the quiet isle where there is uh and it's not like the the isle in between uh rows on an airplane it's an it's a little tiny island and it's it's a it's a silent <laughs> be place. nice if you can get in the quiet isle on the airplane 
Yes, if you can find that, uh, you are you are a luckier person than I am. I have yet to find such a place. Uh, but it's it's this place where people go for atonement and they're working and they're trying to do good for the world. And there had been a lot of theories that there's a passage in that book about this grave digger. Uh, Brienne is looking at this grave digger from a distance. And the way that this character is described strongly fits the profile of the Hound in this version version of events um brienne and the hound had not met uh so that's a big difference between the books and the show and the way that the man who is in charge of the quiet isle talks about how he met the hound he met sandor clegane and he keeps saying the hound is dead the hound is dead but he never mentions sandor clegane so it's like all very metaphysical and you know it's a little bit fast and loose with the rules and that has never really bared out in the books quite yet because those are still, uh, you know, they're they're moving at the pace that they're moving. But the show, it was a very exciting moment when this happened on the show. Even though it's, you know, it's a little bit of a detour from the way that it plays out in uh, A Feast for Crows. And that storyline is, is really fun in that book. I think a really nice little sojourn there. Uh, this is a little bit of a rougher around the edges version of that same tale. And it's certainly getting the hound into the thick of the action in a way that that has not been accomplished yet in the book. Can I go circle back to uh, you mentioned that the Hound and Brienne never met in the books. What was the book fate of the Hound to this point? My memory of that is I think that the Hound, he he's the one who uh, he, he he encounters. I forget who he encounters, how he gets the wound. He gets like bitten or he gets some sort of injury and the injury is starting to fester. Uh, biter. Yeah, I don't remember if it's the biter that he encounters. I don't remember exactly the circumstances, but he's injured and it, the injury is starting to to really get bad and he's starting to get sick from it. And Arya uh, leaves him in the night after a similar moment where he's like, kill me, kill me. And she just doesn't do it. Uh, and she keeps walking and, you know, she walks away from him and leaves him behind. And he's just in such agony that he can't come after her. Uh, but it, Brienne has nothing to do it do with it, to, to my recollection. She does fight somebody who is wearing the hound's helmet, uh, who is, uh, I believe that that might be Rourke and the biter actually, uh, that she, she fights those guys. Um, but it's not the hound himself that she fights. Okay. All right. So we have the hound there and, uh, we find out that brother Ray was a uh, part of, uh, resuscitating the hound. He thought he was just giving the hound a burial. Uh, it turns out that he was only mostly dead. Yes, which is uh, slightly alive. And once again, the Miracle Max rules making their way into the Winter Was Here podcast. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, they're talking a little bit about the gods and the hounds as if the gods are real. Why haven't they punished me for all the terrible things that I've done, Brother Ray? Huh? You have it, all the it, answers, right? It's a fair question, right? I mean, the hound has done some horrible things. He's done some really terrible things. Uh, and yet he is still alive. And Brother Ray... Uh, who is talking about how, like, you know, there's plenty of people who who feel like they know the word of God. Uh, I don't. I don't even know their real names. I, you know, maybe it's the seven. Maybe it's the old gods. Maybe it's the Lord of light. Uh, but whoever is out there, they've got plans for you. And this is uh, obviously I'm still in the in the thick of the the afterglow of my lost rewatch, Rob. But mm -hmm. this is this is like straight out of the pages of that show. Right. We're like destiny. Destiny awaits you, Sandor Clegane. And I think through where we are in Game of Thrones with six episodes left, I don't feel satisfied on whatever purpose Sandor Clegane has left. Do you? Uh, you don't feel satisfied in the per his yeah, purpose? Yeah, there's like whatever this destiny is, I think it still awaits. I think it's still in the future. Sure. I mean, he was part of the group that went north of the wall. Does that count? Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what are you saying? He has to fight in the Clegane ball? Yeah, he's got to fight in the Clegane Bowl. He's got to he's got to do something, something epic, something that's going to be very worthwhile and helpful for everybody involved. Yeah. And I think he's got a part to play in this uh, final run of episodes. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm very excited to see whatever that is. I'm sure Clegane Bowl is going to be a big part of it. Uh, but I think as as we've talked about, like, is it going to be like a one on one like trial by combat? Probably not. Is it the Clegane's meeting on a battlefield? That seems more likely. But the other pieces of it are like, what are the ramifications of Sandor Clegane standing up to his brother one last time? Like, what will he prevent? Who will he save in the process of that? 
I think those are the questions that once we get the answers to those, hopefully, fingers crossed, I think the Sandor Clegane storyline will be a really satisfying one in the end. Okay, so let's go from one godly man to another. And I guess let's check in with the High Sparrow who needs to talk to Marjorie. Now, Marjorie is deep in her studying of the seven and the holy texts. And uh, he needs to talk to Marjorie about he's been having some uh, guy talk with Tommen. I was wondering what you thought. Do you think that Marjorie has actually memorized like all of this stuff? Or do you think when so the high sparrow walks in and says, what are you reading today? And she gets to choose what she says here. Right. She says the book of the mother, your holiness, chapter three, verse 12. Does she only have to memorize like loosely around that section in order to really impress the high sparrow right here? Well, I, she might be a deep in study. I, I think that Marjorie is uh, one of the better game players in uh, Game of Thrones. So uh, she's working on her lines in terms of what she's going to say when the uh, high sparrow comes in. So I think that for the most part, she has uh, most of her bases covered. She's very impressive in this scene. Uh, I, I think that the way that, the, again, like we talked about this with this last episode of like, it's a little disappointing that Marjorie does not get to to, to win, right? That she, or we yeah. don't get to see enough of her plan that she, it really blows up in her face quite literally. Uh, but I think that you see the seeds of what she's planning here. I think this episode really pushes it forward too, where she's, she's baking a lot of honesty into her plot here, where she's talking about, I never loved the poor. She's I going had to cover them. Yeah deep cover this feels like deep cover with the high sparrow would have been fun to see it really work and pan out but i think the consequence of that would have been we would have had to see more of the high sparrow right no she's really really good i think that her one slip up along the way is when she sort of antagonizes cersei which kind of leads to this whole mess uh she almost gets out of it uh but ultimately uh cersei is just uh too crazy of an enemy to have antagonized and she was it's gonna pay the price here at the end of the season but that, that's steep really price steep her price one mistake was just that time when uh she she got just uh you know too big for her britches when she became the queen and then just sort of like egged on cersei in front of her friends you never want to egg on anybody let alone cersei egg. i think yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Marjorie is talking to the high sparrow here and being like, yeah. the, the poor disgusted me. And high sparrow's like, yeah, they're gross. And they disgust us because we're gross too. And they we're all gross us of together. Ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on that note, so Marjorie, uh, Tommen says that you guys have not been sharing the marital bed uh, since you got together. What's up with that? yeah it's just i don't know i'm i'm just not i'm not really feeling it mm-hmm. to be honest <laughs> no here. you must share the marital bed yeah it's part of your duty to your husband to your king even to the gods themselves the gods are cheering you on yeah i'm like oh this is awkward yeah, <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is odd yeah, High Sparrow coming in to talk to to Marjorie about the the sparrows and the bees here uh, is yeah. a is a weird look for sure. Certainly, uh, I mean it's not something that Marjorie you know had any reservations about in the past. Is is this part of that? Uh, in terms of keeping her character, she's I like, well, so. I have to be you know very uh, you know uh, pure right now, and I should not be in the mar- engaging in those acts. You know, I think as much as she can, I think we're seeing Marjorie wanting to let at least the High Sparrow feel like she is taking all of her cues from uh, from the faith as expressed by him. Right. Like that. He is the guy that is going to to feel like he is empowered to show her everything, to show her the ropes, to show her the way uh, to be the Mickey to her Rocky. And I think if that's the case, then then for her to to have a moment like this where she is is showing herself to be like very hesitant to, to sleep with Tommen, uh, I think only helps to, to bolster this character that she is playing for the High Sparrow and will only help endear the High Sparrow to her if he feels like he's doing this great service by getting the king and the queen back together and letting her know, like, no, that's totally OK. It's it's marriage. Like, you're fine. This is a good thing to do. This is something you really should do. I think it's really just helping her undercover case for sure. Okay, so the high sparrow does also have one other thing. He says, you know, you're doing great, but that that grandmother of yours. 
yeah, she's really, uh, she's really not doing so hot. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's a great, strong woman and a huge sinner. So, yep. you know, you gotta, you're going to have to teach her, teach her what I'm teaching you. Otherwise I think she's in trubs. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Marjorie is going to get a chance to talk with the queen of thrones and, uh, she is not happy. Lady Elena. No, she doesn't like the fact that she can't even like have a moment alone with Marjorie on top of everything else. Like, you know, th- the the way that Marjorie has act- is acting all piously and everything and the fact that she undercut the plan, the rescue operation from earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now Septa Unella is peeping on all the conversations and uh, Lady Elena, not a fan, not a fan of Septa Unella, but who is? Yes, uh, this is a uh, supervised visitation between Marjorie and Lady Elena. And Marjorie is like, no, grandmother, you have to go back to High Garden. And Lady Elena resists. She's like, I can't go. Not without my granddaughter and my grandson. And knowing about them, she says, don't worry, just go home. And she slips a note into her hand under the nose of Septa Unella. Very clever sleight of hand from Marjorie Tyrell. Once again, just the cleverest. Runs in the family. It really does. It really does. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah, because Lady Elena was able to get that stone off of Sansa's necklace back at the purple wedding. Do you think that the uh, Tyrells have uh, gone to clown school? (laughs) Like, is that is that part of their training at Highgarden? perhaps perhaps i don't know if the clowns are really you know masters of sleight of hand (laughs) yeah i guess clowns are pretty loud and like uh yeah very busy with their aesthetic but maybe that makes a clown an expert thief like the joker (laughs) because you're so distracted by the shenanigans that you can't see what they are sneaking uh behind your back you just don't know you never suspect the clown the problem is you're too suspicious of the clown to begin with that you're not suspecting them of their true purpose that's the that's the way it works right and so lady elena she gets out of that meeting josh and she opens up the note and it's a rose it's a rose. It's a rose. Uh, and it is it is a nice reminder that Marjorie is still playing Team Tyrell. This is all part of the plan, uh, a plan that we will never see grow to fruition. But it's a nice nod. stronger. Yes, it's it's nice. It's a nice acknowledgement, not just for Lady Olena, but I think also for the audience as well, since we'll never really get the full side of Marjorie's uh, plot here um, that she that she's working an angle here. She's you know, she's she's still grifting, always be grifting. Okay, all right. So John and Tormund are going to go out and we're going to see John and ultimately Sansa really pitching. Hey, come work with the Starks. We've got a lot of stuff going on, but first they need to pitch the free folk. Yes. And, you know, the the reliance between Tormund Giants Bane and Jon Snow at this Strong. point has really developed. I think coming back to life was really the deal breaker for Tormund. I think Tormund was already starting to feel like John is more of a bro than I gave him credit for. You know, he's, he lets me out of jail. He comes with me to, to hard home and talks to all the wildlings and helps out the case. He lets us through. That's all really cool. Then he died. That wasn't so great. But then he came back to life. That was really, really awesome, and I really got to be playing ball with Jon Snow. So I think at this point, Tormund is uh, he, he has he has a new best friend in town, and it is the it is the former Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. Right. And we are talking to a guy named uh, Dim Dalba. Uh, do we know anything about him? Is this a first appearance for Dim Dalba? I have no recollection of <laughs> Dim Dalba. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, John is trying to, uh, talk to dim dims playing hardball of a uh, hard home ball and yeah. saying like, uh, look, we, we don't want to go with you. Why, why are we going to go and work with you? And John gives him the, the skinny. I think he gives him the lowdown that he's trying to give to everybody. Like, this is your fight. If you know, if we die, if we lose, you're in the north and you are surrounded by a ton of people who are going to want you dead. I am your ally out here. Uh, I don't want you to have to come to Winterfell. I think it sucks that you have to. I shouldn't be asking you. This wasn't the deal we made. But if we're going to survive, we really got to team up here. Like your best chance for survival is to go into the bear pit. 
Okay. Now, uh, Tormund's like, hey, bear pit's not so bad, right? No, he loves the bear pit. Yes. <laughs> yes. his favorite part of the bear. Oh, my God. <laughs> there is one There is one person <laughs> in the wildling crew that is on board with this. One, one, the giant. And when the giant stands, everybody takes notice. And yeah. he says, snow. Yeah. Maybe he's just talking about his favorite thing. He loves snow. <laughs> it was Big a fan. weather forecast. It was, it was not an endorsement. <laughs> yeah, winter is coming. That is how one one expresses it. Snow. <laughs> yes. Okay. So the free folk are on board. So that's that's one down. I love this this final exchange in the scene between John and Tormund, where uh, John asks, "Are you sure that they'll come?" And Tormund says, "We're not clever like you Southerners. When we say we'll do something, we do it." Okay. Good. Yeah. You know the wild things are men and women of their words. All right. Lady Elena, she is still in King's Landing. She is going to meet up with Cersei. And uh, what, is, what is Cersei's angle here? I think she's just like coming here to like needle Lady Elena she's one still last needling? time. I think she's always, always. She needling. doesn't have good intentions. Yeah. But the other piece of it, too, I think, is maybe Cersei wants Lady Elena to stay. If she already knows what she's planning with the light of the seven and, uh. know, and knows that she's going to be wiping everybody out. Maybe she wants Lady Elena here. You know, maybe she doesn't want her to be able to 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 witness this from a distance. Yeah, because she is like, yeah, I did make a mistake. You know, I, I blew it. And Lady Elena is talking about, you know, I think you're the worst person I ever met. Uh, I mean, I, I, I can't think of anybody who's worse. And I'm, I'm leaving uh, the city. And yeah. uh, the only good thing that is that can come of all this is that, you know, that you're miserable, too. Yeah, that's the that's the good news is that I'm not the only one who is just having a horrible time. Like you're having a terrible time as well. Uh, it's like she was speaking to to us a couple of episodes ago. So, you know, it's, it's direct to our hearts. OK. All right. Uh, let's check in with it's the final scene between those two, I believe. Uh, okay. We'll never we'll never see the two of them together again. Uh, a great pair, Lady Elena and Cersei Lannister. It's a good run. It was, it was a, a very run. it was a good run. That's a good segue to River Run. Okay, uh, Jamie and Braun are showing up. Is this the first uh, s- uh, sight of Braun here in season six? I believe that's right. I think that he's been uh, he's been nursing himself back to health after his brush with the most beautiful woman in the world. Okay, so it's uh, Jamie and Braun back on the road. Uh, always fun to uh, see together, even though they uh, get sent on a lot of side quests. Uh, Jamie and Braun are showing up. And uh, what does Braun think they're off to do? Uh, it seems like that uh, Braun seems like that uh, this is a shock to him when Jamie starts putting him in charge of stuff. Yeah. I mean, did he think he was just here for the jokes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because uh, Braun is nitpicking the siege that the Freys are running. Uh, of course, uh, the Freys, uh, they did pull off the Red Wedding, but otherwise have been shown to be pretty incompetent. Uh, and uh, Jamie says, uh, guess what, Braun? Now you're in charge of the siege. Braun's like, no, mm-hmm. I don't want to be in charge of the siege. Why? <laughs> OK, and so Jamie is going to check in with Lothar Frey. Yeah. Uh, I also like before before the scene with the phrase that Bron is trying to to be like, you you know, where's all the stuff you promised me? The lordship, the highborn beauty for my wife, the castle. Jamie says, you'll get it. You'll get all three. A Lannister always. And Bron does not want to hear the, the rest Don't of it. Don't say it. Don't you say it. Don't you say the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it really makes sense why Bronn prefers Tyrion. I think I think that (laughs) Tyrion like asks a lot of Bronn, but I think that he takes Bronn to fewer places like the the physical mileage on Bronn is less than it is when uh, Bronn is is teamed up with Jamie Lannister. Mm -hmm. Right. His step count is really high with Jamie (laughs) Lannister. All right, so uh, we're seeing the latest Frey plan is they feel like that the Blackfish will surrender River Run in exchange for the hostage Edmir Tully. It's a really great moment where Black Walter's like, I've got him, I've got Edmir Tully, I'll stab him, I'll cut his throat like I did to your niece. Open the door, do it, open the door. And the Blackfish is like, no, 
Just kill him. It's totally fine if you kill him. It's just Ed Murtelli. Uh So you wonder how often this has been happening. The book has a crazy stat for how often they like trotted Ed Murtelli out. I think that like he's he's like putting the stocks or like his head is in a noose for days and days and days on end. And they keep threatening to hang him. Uh, and poor Ed Murtelli is just like stuck on public display as the blackfish really does not care at all. Uh, so this is like a slight version of that. But it, it's it's still pretty funny here on the show i think okay so uh, jamie and braun are gonna start telling the phrase uh what's up uh we see that lothar is uh, not happy to have now the lannisters involved in this siege yeah they don't want them here this is our siege this is a, this is fray territory what mm-hmm. are you doing here this yeah. isn't a lannister party yeah, uh, there is a uh, a great moment where uh, is it Lothar or Black Walder that Jamie punches in the face? I believe it's Black Walder who <laughs> yeah. gets the gets the backhand. Yeah, uh, Jamie says, "Look, only a fool is going to make a threat he's not prepared to carry out." Now, let's say I threatened to hit you unless you shut your mouth, and you kept talking. And Black Walder keeps going, and then uh, Jamie uh, slaps him across the face. That golden hand being put to good use in a moment like this. You know, that's really got a smart. Yeah. Uh, somehow the phrase had no idea also that the Lannister army was uh, coming up to River. <laughs> Bronn describes that in vivid detail. Let's just let's just say it's yeah. a good thing that Jamie and Bronn are, are the phrase friends. Otherwise, it would have been a, a very uncomfortable position for everyone. OK. All right. Uh, Jamie wants to set up a parlay with with uh, the Blackfish. Yeah, he wants to talk to the guy. He okay. wants a word. All right, so he's going to have a word, and uh, we'll see that later on. All right, let's go to Bear Island, where we can see the great Liana Mormont working with uh, Jon Snow and Sansa, talking about a, a real meetup. I love Liana Mormont. She is just, she's one of those characters that can't imagine is going to have a major impact on the show moving forward but it's just one of the great crayons in the crayon box of game of thrones uh everything everything that she ever adds to the show is just perfect uh it's it's a couple of scenes only but all of those scenes are super great this one being the best where she's just you know she's she's given them giving him the business like she's this you know 10 year old girl if that i think like younger uh and she is the lady of bear island and she's not going to be persuaded to join any fights certainly not uh without a, a little bit of elbow grease and davo seaworth will be the man to deliver well she's great from even her first mention when she sent the note to yes. stannis that said uh bear island knows no king but the king in the north whose name is stark uh, and stannis is like oh she's a real piece of work this one yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i think that for for uh for davos he's probably like been like thinking about that right like it feels like he probably has the measure of her to some degree coming into this uh coming into this meeting is aware that like whoever we're dealing with is going to be uh an intense person that we should tread lightly with yeah and she's almost like the same as uh, the queen of thorns except just like in the 10 year old package it's really like the two ends of the spectrum of you have like uh, liana mormont and then also lady elena and very very similar in tone but uh the really opposite ends of the age spectrum that's very funny uh you know I- it makes me very sad that we never got a Lady Liana and Lady Olena scene together because I think mm. that could have been dynamite. But it makes me retroactively feel a little bit better about the fact that we're going to lose Lady Olena because at least we have Lady Liana, who absolutely is the successor to the Queen of Thorns. That's a very good observation. Yeah, because John and Sansa are going to try to remind uh, Liana Mormont about how she said, hey, you said, you know, no king, but uh, Stark. And she's like, yeah, but you're a snow and you are. Was that a Lannister or a Bolton? I don't recall which which yeah. was. I've heard conflicting reports. Really coming after Sansa here. You know, so it's like I, I did what I had to do to survive. I'm a Stark, mm-hmm. and then I was like, mm, if you say so. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. There's a lot of funny stuff here too. With uh, uh, when when Sansa's like, oh, you're named after my aunt Lyanna, who is uh, allegedly a great beauty. I'm sure you will be too. And Lyanna's like, yeah, kind of doubt it. Don't think so. 
<laughs> my mom wasn't so <laughs> yeah but somehow davos comes in and uh, davos is uh a bit of the uh liana mormont whisperer and he's able to uh talk some real talk to liana mormont he gives uh, a really great speech here where he talks about uh, how he can relate to her, that she never thought she would be in this position of having to be responsible for so many people at such a young age. And Davos is like, I never thought I would be in this position. I was a crabber's son. I was a smuggler. And now here I am speaking to the lady of a great house in a time of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like it's that it's that exact right balance between like sucking up to Lady Liana, but also speaking kind of plainly of like, this is the truth. This is the true narrative. I'm gussying it up a little bit to to gain your respect but here's the blunt talk that if we do not back Jon Snow we are in major trouble because it's really not even about the Boltons it's about this great threat that is bearing down upon the wall and this starts to spark Liana's interest uh where she where she realizes that if if all of these people are talking about uh, the great threat of the Night King and the White Walkers. Uh, Davos talking about how as long as the Boltons hold Winterfell, the North is divided and a divided North isn't going to stand a chance against what's coming next. So if you want to protect your people, we really need to work together. There's no hiding from this. This is sort of the straight talk that Lyanna uh, Mormon, I think, is going to buy. Uh, and more than anything in the universe, I am I am praying for an ending of Game of Thrones where Davos just becomes Lyanna's uh, Liana Mormont's lieutenant for the rest of time because these two, this is a great <laughs> pair for anything? sure. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but I, I would love to see that. I think that that would be a fantastic ending for both of these characters. Hmm. You know, he's always been good with with kids, right? Like, you know, yeah. he used to speak to Shireen Baratheon very plainly. So I think here, like, this is sort of a, a tender moment for him as well as, uh, you know, a, a proactive and productive one. Okay, so the good news is House Mormont is on board. They are going to uh, commit their fighting men to the cause. Uh, And uh, this sounds uh, like, okay, this is great. Uh, John wants to know, how many men can we expect? And uh, we found out the answer is 62. (laughs) It's really uh, a small miracle that Jon Snow doesn't just like immediately flip a table. Mm-hmm. 62 yeah all of this was for 62 because you have to imagine the footwork that went into to getting to to bear island rivaling bronze step count uh you know it's literally an island so they're schlepping all the way to bear island to to make this pitch where they're all getting uh they're all getting insulted except for davos who walks away squeaky clean all for 62 human beings to add to the fighting force really mm-hmm. just uh probably the the juice not being worth the squeeze on this one but josh those 62 men are fighting with the strength of 10 mainlanders okay so, th- so this is 620 people we're talking about here essentially not nothing not nothing yes and and if, Davos- if that's true he has the perfect answer he says uh if they're half as ferocious as their lady the boltons are doomed the boltons are doomed yeah Davos Seaworth. The more, the more and more I come back through Game of Thrones, the more I'm thinking Davos might be my favorite character. He's just great. Wow. He's, I I really love I I think Liam Cunningham plays this character so well. He's he's very high in the mix for my favorite characters of Game of Thrones. Okay. Let's uh see Jamie and the Blackfish. Yeah. Yeah, this is so what a Game of Thrones scene this is, right? I mean, like just like in terms of it being like perfectly Game of Thrones where the drawbridge comes down and there's one badass on one end of it and then another badass on the other end and they meet in the middle. Kingslayer, Blockfish. It's just this is the type of stuff you don't get on any other show. It's just very epic, instantly epic. Jamie cannot talk any sense into the blackfish. Uh, basically, Jamie is like, "Okay, what are your demands? What do you want? Give us this. Give us this castle. Do, you know, don't you want to do what's best for your men?" The blackfish is like, "Nah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I was born here. I'll die here. I don't care. Yeah. Whatever." He's got hundreds of people here, and he doesn't seem terribly concerned. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> we'll, huh. we'll we'll stick it out. We'll be here. For, we've got enough food for two years. Do you have two years? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he says, uh, why am I why am I trying to bargain with you? Bargaining with an oath breaker. It's like building on quicksand mm-hmm. and quicksand. It's a little bit of a touchy subject for Jamie having just come back from Dorne. 
Yeah. Um, the Blackfish opens with, oh, are you here to honor the deal that you made with my niece and uh, return uh, her daughters? I'm like, yeah. no, no, that Not wasn't really. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we come to find out that the only reason this meeting is happening is because yeah. the Blackfish is bored. <laughs> like, sieges are boring. What do you yeah. want from me? Uh, he just wanted to get the measure of Jamie Lannister, and he's disappointed. Yeah, uh, and I feel like that's unfair to Jamie Lannister. I think Jamie Lannister is coming here, and he's trying to be a reasonable guy. And I think, you know, I think that Jamie Lannister is authentically trying to be a reasonable guy. He's like, why would you just sacrifice all of your men for a lost cause? Just like give in and like, I'll cut you a deal. We can come up with some sort of arrangement. But the Lannister name is in the is in the garbage at this point. It's in the dumpster. The Lannister name is worth nothing after the Red Wedding, especially to the Tullys. Uh, And, you know, the Blackfish walks away from this encounter thinking that Jamie, at the very least, like, was he at least going to like try and fight me or try and, you know, shank me here? He's not even doing any of that. This guy's just kind of a waste. And it's sad because I think you know he's got the wrong measure of jamie lannister but you can't really blame him for having that read on this guy or you you shouldn't trust jamie lannister even if we as the viewer have seen the more three-dimensional approach to this character this is probably a guy who authentically means it when he says i can cut you a deal Mm -hmm. yeah and the lannister name is not worth what it's used to and uh neither is the stark name because, uh, you know, we've seen John and Sansa and they are doing OK with the free folk. They did uh, pretty good by Lady Mormont. But now they're going to go visit uh, House Glover uh, to go see Sir Donald. Uh, <laughs> Lady Helen. <laughs> Lady Helen. Sir Danny. <laughs> Sir Danny's my favorite. Yes. <laughs> and we wanted, hey, House Glover, come on. Let's yeah. go fight the Boltons. And they said, yeah, mm, nah, hard pass. Yeah, definitely. No, hard. No. Uh, you know, we we fought with you before and the, the whole Red Wedding thing happened and it really, really threw a wrench into our whole situation. We were very sad when we found out that Ned died. We cried for them. We've we've done our duty here with you. And uh, this is this is a, a non-starter for us. And we absolutely cannot fight on your behalf. Yeah. And so John tries to guilt them a little bit. And so Sansa wants to remind House Glover that they were sworn to House Stark. And uh, Robert Glover says, yeah, well, that didn't work out so great when the Ironborn came here and locked up my wife and kids. Uh, And where was my king in the north during that time? Oh, that's right. He took off with some foreign born floozy. Yes, I believe those are his exact words. Uh, a, a foreign lady of the Night King. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, yeah, that was a bad call. Uh, well, that wasn't us, though. That was our brother. I served House Stark once, he says, but House Stark is dead. Apparently, he didn't get the memo that back uh, is back to life. Yep, came back. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go and obviously uh, Robert Glover is going to he's going to whistle a different tune by the end of the season. He's one of the (laughs) most emphatic kings in the north declarers later on. So he'll he'll come around. Okay. speaking of uh, ladies of the Night King, uh, we are going to check in at a Volantis brothel. Yes, yes. And we're going (laughs) to. What's there to discuss with this scene? Theon's upset. He's, he's still he's still very nervous. He doesn't feel secure as a Greyjoy. Yara is trying to to get him very drunk. She's like forcing him to chug, chug, chug. Frank the tank. Frank the tank. Uh, and uh, stop she's being such to, a little baby. Yeah, you know we're 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 Greyjoys, man. We're gonna Knock go it off. We're gonna we're gonna win back the Iron Islands, and it's gonna be great. And you know, as long as we're alive, Euron's coming for us. But it's a big world, and we've got fast ships. Get yeah. drunk. You are harshing my mellow, sir. Yes, she has her her eyes set on a certain prize here <laughs> at the bar, and she really just wants to get through this so she can get back to work. All right. <laughs> yeah, but the plan is she's she's saying we're gonna go to marine it's gonna be fine we're gonna make a deal with the dragon queen we're gonna take back the iron islands this really isn't nearly as bad as you think please stop being such a buzzkill yeah and theon eventually is uh it seems like he's probably like so instantly drunk that he has lost his words but he see he seems like he's on on board 
And then Yara is pleased and she says, okay, sweet. This is my last night ashore. So I'm going to go F the T's off of this one. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, a Good line of dialogue. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> lost in a little bit of the exposition. In addition to stealing Euron's ships, they also stole his idea where I don't think we knew prior to this scene that that's what Yara and Theon were off to do was to go and uh, treat with Daenerys. Yeah, but they're like, you know, it was a good idea. There's mm-hmm. a reason he won the election, aside from institutional <laughs> misogyny. his platform. Yeah, it was a good, was a good platform. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, check back in with uh, John and Sans and Davos, and uh, they're going to set up camp. They said, oh, Stannis set up a camp here. This is a good campsite. Stannis knew what he was doing, even though he died and he lost the war. It was mostly the weather's fault, but he was, knew what he yeah. was doing in terms of finding campsites. Yeah. Blame it on the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and, that's a, a walled off in the making. Yeah. And uh, there was, uh, a, a, you know, uh, the, the wildlings, uh, Davos has his hands full with trying to uh, keep them from fighting each other. Yeah, they don't have a lot of people. What are the numbers at? They've got like uh, a little bit past 2000, not quite 2500 people right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly wildlings and the wildlings are fighting each other. And Sansa is doing the math in her head and she's like, uh, this, it, we, it's not enough. It's not enough. And she sees the ravens. Yes. Get me a pen. Yeah, she's going to be the one who's going to formulate this plan that is ultimately going to save the skins of everybody in this battle. You know, she's she's the one who's going to to call in Littlefinger and summon the Knights of the Vale. Uh, This will come in greatly in handy in just a couple of episodes from now. Okay. All right. Back at the Riverlands, uh, we are going to get uh, some more talk with uh, Brother Ray. He's going to talk about, uh, you know, his uh, his old life. Yes, his old life and who he was before. He's giving a big sermon about how he used to be. Uh, he used to be a yes man. He used to fight because he was he was uh, afraid that other people would see he was afraid. He was a coward. Uh, so when when someone would tell him to burn a village. All right. I'm your arsonist. Mm -hmm. I'm a thief. Yeah, I'll steal. Whoever (laughs) you want me to kill, I'll kill. It It wasn't great. Right. And he was just following orders. It was not his will. No. It's not that humans are animals. That they're just... Are they humans? (laughs) <laughs> we did, we cover this? I, see what, okay. I see what you're doing yeah. i know what uh, this but is. P- that uh you know uh <laughs> i smell i smell what you're after here <laughs> they're yeah. human beings People. who are speaking english yes. and stop worrying about it yeah uh, god but or, do they live on planetos right yeah i mean i think that's not an official name i don't think there's an official name for yeah planet Okay, but uh, they, they were just following their orders, and uh, so ultimately, you know, he's making a lot of sense, Brother Ray. But then he gets uh, interrupted by uh, some of the Brotherhood without banners. Yeah, allegedly, they're they're you know they're presenting themselves that way, and they say we're here, we protect the people. Uh, you gotta give us some stuff in order to protect you. You know, okay. we gotta we gotta. We got to make sure that you guys are are safe from all of the terrible people out there. But Ray is not uh, negotiating with these guys. He he doesn't have much to negotiate with, according to his perspective. Yeah, and uh, he is uh, pissing these guys off. The shakedown, which, which is going to prove to be a bad choice, uh, because they are actually rather dangerous. This crew. Hmm. Yeah. And so they want they want horses. They want steel. They want gold. Uh, and Brother Ray says, uh, nope, we have nothing for you guys. Yeah. He gives them the Robert Glover treatment. <laughs> Hard thumbs down. Yeah. And so uh, we see the hound that he does not like uh, this course of action. He says to Brother Ray, why, do, why, why didn't we stand up to those guys? Yeah. And Brother Ray says, you know, there's there's really no reason. We're not going to fight them. It's you versus them. Are you really going to be able to do that? And Sanders says, you can fight. You could fight with me. There's only three Brother guys, Ray, right? Brother Ray is done fighting. Yeah, I feel like the Hound could take on three guys pretty yeah. easily. Yeah. I mean, somebody could have his back. Yeah. 
But brother Ray says violence is a disease and you don't cure a disease by spreading it to more people. Hmm. Uh, and so he's trying to, to walk the hound away from the path of violence. Uh, you know, he's really trying to do this guy. It doesn't a solid. weaken the disease if you give it to more people, because if it's like all on you and then you give it to other people, doesn't it weaken it? <laughs> is that how it works? I feel like that, that's sort of like you're just spreading it <laughs> like, out to other people. If I have a cold and then I you give, give it to you, five people, if right. I give you the cold. I now have less of my cold. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's math. <laughs> That's what I was always taught. <laughs> but I guess not. I guess not in this case. Great. Great. I'm going to try that in a couple of weeks when I have my inevitable cold. Oh, man. Yeah. Hey, just Emily, ride around the subway. See how many people you can give it to until it's Jeez. all gone. <laughs> so stupid. So dumb. That's how money works, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Anyway. Moving on. Okay. Uh, Sandra Clegane says, uh, you know, you got to stand up to these guys. <laughs> Brother is like, nah. Nah, it's fine. It's okay. fine. We'll be fine. We'll okay. be fine. All right. We'll check back in in a little bit. But uh, let's check in with Aria, who's got a little spring in her step. She's like, you know what? I've been here in Bravos for two seasons. I'm getting out while the getting's good. Yeah. I think I'll go out for a walk right now. Isn't <laughs> that the... Isn't that the song? Yeah. He's like very happy. Like you can see like <laughs> the very happy day for Aria. Yeah. The, the very like the very sunny montage that is occurring here where she's like, yeah, get me back to Westeros. I'm out of here. Peace. Bravos. This storyline sucked. And then she's just like walking on the bridge. Doopity doo. Zippity doo da. Well, she first buys passage back to Westeros. She gives yeah. a bunch of coins to a guy and then uh, says, hey, well, take me to Westeros. He's like, we're leaving tomorrow. You'll get a hammock. And she gives him another bag of gold and says, no, give me a cabin. Yeah, I want the front seat. Yeah. Where'd the, she get all this money class. from? Um, I mean, I think those were very popular oysters, clams and cockles. Was that what I it was? Bet. Yeah. Wow. She probably, you know, faceless man some money from somewhere, right? Oh, she you stole know? it? Yeah, I can't imagine that she didn't. I stole Res- money. Resourceful, resourceful. Okay. Arya Stark. But she's she's bought the first class cabin. She's gonna go back home tomorrow. She's renewed with purpose. She's Arya Stark once more. And sadly, this old woman on the bridge is not just any old woman. Nope. Uh, old woman comes up, says, oh, sweet girl, it's the waif. And she's got a knife and she stabs Arya a bunch of times in the stomach. Yeah, multiple stabs, stabby, stab, stabby. And uh, Arya is still going to have enough strength to like push the waif away very forcefully and do like a really forceful pivot off of the bridge and hop down into the water. Yeah. Very impressive for somebody who's been stabbed as many times as she has in like a very vulnerable area. Kind of a half-assed job from a trained assassin, the waif. Have we come to expect anything more? <laughs> no. Just, Not really. You know, she does nothing but brutalize Arya at every opportunity. And then uh, sort of just like, eh, I'll just leave her for dead. Well, I think that that's why uh, Jack and Hagar is like, don't make her suffer. Just do it. She's going to be more problematic than, you know, than you realize if you don't just kill her off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have listened. She should have listened to Jack and Hagar. Yeah. So Arya knocked into uh, the water. Uh, she gets out and is then uh, walking down the street. But she is bleeding out. She needs some medical attention stat. Yes. Uh, which will which will lead us into the to the Bravosi finale in, in one week's time. Okay. All right. Uh, let's get back to the Riverlands and uh, we see uh, the hound. Uh, boy, he must have been out chopping wood uh, way off in the distance. Or maybe he just has like very waxy ears and has yeah. trouble hearing. You That's know? possible. Maybe just, you know. That's possible because, uh, you know, that uh, this one side of his face is, uh, you know, pretty rough. So maybe that has affected his hearing to some degree. Yeah, maybe, you know, he's been in a lot of battles. Battles are loud. It's like probably like the Game of 
Game of Thrones equivalent of like going to a lot of heavy metal concerts. Okay. Where, Look, you know, like he doesn't plug his ears when he goes to war. So he's probably heard a lot of screaming and explosions. Yeah. It's probably it's, impacted you know, his hearing. Never been mentioned on screen, but I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy it because uh, somehow the Hound missed Brother Ray and everybody else from the camp just getting uh, slaughtered by the uh, Brotherhood. Maybe he was napping where he was chopping wood and he's just a heavy sleeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possible. Okay. okay. Um, and everyone's dead. Brother Ray is dead and he's hanging. It's terrible. Everybody's dead. Very sad. Very sad. And that's the end of the episode. Yes. And he's uh, the, the episode ends with him picking the axe back up and you get the sense that he's caught the disease again. And now he's going oh, to offload. They gave it to him. Yes. And he's going to offload it onto more people so that he can feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And there you have it. And I'd say this is probably uh, my second favorite episode here in the season. I think in retrospect, I think it is a it is a better episode than The Door, you mm-hmm. know, which is an episode that I certainly have regarded quite <laughs> yeah. highly in the past. I think The Door has a higher high. Higher high. I think that, you know, in terms of in, in my TV ranking history, I do think you go with the iconic higher high over the more complete body of work. But I think for, for that effort, sure. But I think if you're to say, like, which was which was a more satisfying episode to watch, like as an episode and less as a sequence, I think that this is going to be the winner for me. Yeah. Okay. So uh, nice job here in the broken man. Yeah. The broken man with the broken plan. Uh, And it is leading us into next week's discussion of no one season six episode eight the episode that no one asked for <laughs> as, well, as Ar- Arya and the Waif are going to finally uh, settle this thing, which I guess we should be grateful for. It's always darkest before the dawn here in season six. That dawn. is definitely true. The darkest before the dawn. Uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to have one last uh, hurrah in Bravo says Arya is going to finish the House of Black and White storyline. And then it will be a while before we see her after that. Uh, so we're we're in we're close to the we're in the home stretch of season six, I would say. But next week's episode, I think, is going to be a, a little bit of a low point would be my expectation before we get into the final two episodes of the season, which ideally will be uh, the highest of highs. OK. All right. So there you go. Uh, moving right along, closing in on the end of season six, season seven, right around the corner. So uh, a lot going on. Of course, you could follow the great Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He's at Round Howard. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Josh, anything else you want to uh, tell to the wonderful listeners? No, I would I would not want to to spread any of the ideas that I'm working on. I want to keep them to myself for now. Yes, so you know, you can't give away all your good ideas. Then you'll yeah, have none. Exactly. Exactly. I don't want to I don't want to do that. OK. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I uh, had a lot of fun going through the broken man. We'll be back uh, next time. Take care. Everybody. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>